Welcome back to Taking Care of Business, the podcast by Allsop and Allsop, Dubai's leading real estate agency. Today, I'm joined by the head honcho, the mean machine, <laughs> that is Stuart Rowe, our head of mortgage services. Morning. Welcome, Hi. welcome, Stuart. And we also have uh, a golden oldie, Paul Kelly, our operations director. Wow, also, golden also. oldie, golden oldie. Machine. Wow. <laughs> welcome, morning, guys. Welcome, Hello. Paul. I'm the oldest one here. So on the morning of recording, we are now Wednesday the 7th of July. The morning of recording, is it coming home? Because we, we said last week when I recorded, uh, Germany will play in England. Was it coming home? We beat Germany. So is it coming home? It's coming home. Definitely coming home. Come on, England. We could have a gun in our face by the time this goes out. So when it, when it goes out, <laughs> England could we'll, be we'll out. We'll just delete it after that. So. <laughs> Edit. Right, guys, this week uh, we are talking about mortgages, all things mortgages. Um, obviously, it's a key part in the home moving process. Um, a large part of our buys are financing properties these days. So Stuart's come along to give us some helpful tips, some insights, and his view moving forward into the, this year and, and into, into 2022. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? 2022. Yeah. So first and foremost, Stu, mortgages. This yeah. year has been a bit of a, a wild ride, hasn't it? It has, yeah. I mean, crikey, 15 years I've been here and I think last year was the best year financially for mortgages that I've ever seen. And going into this year, I mean, it's we're already surpassed what we did last year. So you can see that the appetite for mortgages is, is ridiculous. Number of things changed, obviously, with COVID. There was you know reduced interest rates. Increased LTVs, first-time buyer mortgages. You know, there's a lot more platforms to be able to deliver on. A lot more banks are being competitive, so I think it encouraged a lot of people. Obviously, the prices were lower as well, and then you know you get that to buy frenzy. And now we're seeing, we're seeing it going the other way, where you know we've seen the the challenges, so to speak, in terms of where the market's moved up so quickly. We're now seeing valuations coming in not at the agreed selling price, but it's taken a little while to catch up. And I think the first six months of the year was was a struggle. But I think now we've got to, we're almost kind of leveled out a little bit and the valuations have caught up what the purchase prices should be, so. Would you say, obviously, when we talk about the, the craziness of the market this year, I mean, we've seen double digit growth and yeah. more yeah. in a lot of areas in Dubai. What do you put down to the frenzy of people looking to buy new houses and mortgages this year? Because it's something I've never ever witnessed before. You know, particularly in your team, where you know we've had to practically nearly double support. I mean, we have seen it before. But we've seen it before with overseas investors and cash buyers, and yeah. you know, money coming in from all sorts. But what we're seeing now is a number of families that have been here for a long period of time. You know, we're seeing people that are ten years plus that are now saying now's the right time to buy. Yeah, and I think. Because Dubai goes in cycles with regards to the up and down peaks and troughs and, and pricing. And I think people have waited around long enough to think now is the right time. Yeah. I kept telling everybody, you've got to buy on the way down, buy on the way down, buy on the way down. Everyone thought they knew best and well, we'll wait until we hit the bottom. You're never going to see the bottom. No. And that's what happened. It, it then got to the bottom, went straight back up and no one even realised. I've had numerous discussions with, with people in, in the office, Paul, about we even in the industry would never know that very second when the when the bottom is yeah it's impossible and i think it? you know what we've seen is a lot of people buy for the home purchase and i think realistically you buy for yourself to live and does the bottom really matter no it doesn't and you've got to you've got to make sure that you are in and around that area and be comfortable with that price and i think 
I mean, you can never really understand the mentality of, of everybody, but as a general rule, I think as soon as it started to tip and go up, and then everyone knows it's gone past the bottom, so then they know it's the right way to go. But you can never time the bottom. So you're saddled with debt, yeah. <laughs> mortgage debt. From your personal perspective, not obviously from from the operations director. You know what? You know what sort of pain points have you gone through getting, getting the mortgage? Because obviously the market's moved a little bit. You know, some people may be paying more more mortgage than they can in rent, which sadly is is something. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm about that point. Sometimes going to add in at the start. You're saying about the mortgages being uh, like a, a, a big part of home purchasing, which it is, but I think it's also the the littlest understood parts of home purchasing. And I know from even personal experience, I've been in the property market for coming up to 15 years now, both home and in the OAE. So the reason I'm saying that is I should have some kind of knowledge of mortgages. When it came to doing my own mortgages, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all the details because really a lot of people think mortgages, it's just the rate and that's it. But then, as Stu alluded to before, you've got, okay, well, this is your initial rate, but then what's the follow-on rate? What's um, things like processing fees, life insurance, because you might have a good rate, but your life insurance might be sky high, mm. which might knock that mortgage product on to be more expensive than one where the, the rate looks a little bit higher. So I'd say the biggest pain point when I've ever been going through a mortgage is just understanding all the, the, again, the paperwork I mean, that's, and the figures. That's part and parcel of having a good broker, you know. Um, <laughs> Always um, modest, yeah. always <laughs> modest. A little, a little pun. Um, so you've got to understand what the market is because if you go into banks, I mean, you spoke to banks, obviously, and you will only get told what their one product yep. does, but you'll only get told the good parts of it. And, you know, because there's no real ombudsman here or anything to protect people down the line, it's they kind of tell them what they have to tell them to get them over the line. But in terms of where we look at it from is what would I do? You know, I always look at it, how much it's going to cost me to get into it, how much it's going to cost me when I'm in it, and how much it's going to cost me to get out of it. Would I buy it? If I wouldn't buy it, I wouldn't recommend it. And I think that's where there's a misconception with a lot of these guys that are going out from a bank, selling a mortgage. Do they own property themselves? Have they got that mortgage themselves? Or did they go to another bank? I do so many mortgages for guys that work at banks. And they come to me and say, can you get me a mortgage at a different bank? I'm like, but you work at such and such. Yeah, but it's not a good deal. So I'm going to come to you, and I'm like, you're selling that to other people. But the profile of client as well. So you know, employed and self-employed. You know, I fall in the category of self-employed, and there are a lot more hoops you have to jump through to to qualify for a mortgage. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, with some banks, there is more of an appetite to be a bit more. Uh, how can I put it? A bit more expressive to lend. You know, so hence the reason why we've, we've also belongs at mortgage services. How many banks now are we working with? Is it 18 to 20? Yeah, probably more, like 26, 27. But banks. Yeah, so it's, but then you're talking that 80 20 rule, you know? 80% of a business comes from 20% of the lenders that we deal with. Yeah. Purely on the basis that, like you said, they're more bullish, they've got better products, they've got better service. Um, and again, that's where we find another thing. You've got some of the banks with the best rates in the market, headline rates. Yeah. But it may be one year fixed for 1.99. Next year, you're not going to get 1.99. You'd probably be stuck into something with a, a high margin, tracking the EBOR with a minimum floor rate of 4%. And that's where people stop at the 1.99. And this is where we kind of say, this is what happens next year. This is what happens the year after that. This is where you are going to be. This is what it's going to cost you if you want to get from that product to another product. Because anywhere else in the world, it's quite a simple process of refinancing or, or moving your mortgage to a different bank. Here, 
it's laborious and it's expensive. Like to transfer one mortgage from one bank to another, the cost is like 20, 25,000 dirhams, which is a huge amount of yeah. money to pay. I mean, Definitely. I've just done it with one of mine. You've got to pay for your valuation. You know, potentially there's a processing fee or not a processing fee, they're buying it out. You've got to pay then for all of your trustee registration fees at the land department to register the mortgage again, plus your mortgage registration fee. Plus you've got to pay the closure fee to the bank that you're with, maximum 10,000 dirhams. And then you've got your mortgage deregistration fee. So all of these things add up and it doesn't really matter what the size of the mortgage is, the fees and the costs are always gonna be around about the same because the maximum is 10,000 dirhams on the closure. What about, so obviously the, 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 maybe explain to people the difference between a mortgage here and in the UK to begin with, because they're like, they're like back to front a little bit. When you, when you buy a house in the UK, typically you're, you're approved before go, going home, home searching, but yeah. it's a little bit reversed over, isn't it? Yeah, so here, I mean, here you do have agreement in principle, um, whereas back home, a lot of people go, they get an agreement in principle, which is it's kind of scored on a system. So it's not like there's any manual intervention with yeah. it. Whereas here it's, you've either got, it's scored on the system. There's some banks now that offer digital uh, approvals within a few hours. So that's then a case of, there's all these new protocols in place with central bank. You can now check bank statements from one bank to another. So they've got a system which they can look at it online. But that then relies on the fact that the signatures match and the bank accepts it and somebody actually picks up and looks at it. So again, still needs manual intervention. Plus you've got the Al-Etihad Credit Bureau, which now gives a score. So banks are saying, if the score is above a certain amount or below a certain amount, we can lend you based on this criteria. Then we'll look at what the points are regarding uh, what liabilities you have according to your AECB report. But then you've also got a central bank report that looks at other stuff as well. So there's kind of, there's a bit of a crossover. So some banks are now saying up to 2 million or up to 2.5 million, we can score it based on this system and we can give you an agreement in principle that means you can go out and look for some property. Some other banks will say, okay, well, we now need to look through six months bank statements. We need to question everything on there. We've got to look for your salary certificate. We've got to look for your pay slips. We've then got to phone your company. We've got to do all this stuff that takes about a week, minimum. Um, and that's assuming that they're not backlogged from doing a load of other stuff. So that is something where in that period of time, people are still thinking, can I go out and look for something? Can I not go out and look for something? And then you've got the point of, the people that don't even do that and still think, okay, well, I can go and do this, it's not an issue. You could then come into a situation, which I've had a few times lately, where there's problems on your credit file, you know, there's you know, an unpaid credit card that you don't but even know about. But this actual a true approval of a mortgage doesn't really happen until maybe you've signed for something most of the time. Um, I mean, again, if you're going through and you're doing all of that due diligence with this laborious process, then it's done. Yeah. Then it's literally a case of getting a valuation done and then moving it forward to a final approval, final offer layer. So that's one way of doing it. The other way is with the agreement of principle, but again, some of that stuff is not worth the paper it's written on because it's there's so many other things that need to be checked after that. But this is really, sorry to interrupt, this is really significant though, isn't it? Because we see a, a lot, not a lot, but we see some issues where people just fly through and say, oh yeah, I'll get a mortgage. I've spoke to the bank, the bank rep said it's okay, but they've not really done too much into it. Exactly. They sign into a, a contract, and then, they, then it starts to get difficult. Like you say, if they've yeah. got a bad credit rating or they've signed into a contract that they commit to transfer in six weeks, but the mortgage process could take six weeks at times. So Plus it's it, finance to finance. I mean, yeah. you know, it could take 12 weeks. So moral of the story is get involved with a broker, Stuart Rowe, yeah. 
very, very early on the process. Zero, I mean, zero five six seven five nine seven seven one seven. <laughs> He's good at that. So uh, again, for anyone that's not bought a house before, can we just quickly just go through quickly the process? Ring a ring a real estate agency. Hi, want to all up and all up? Want to go view a house? What happens next? Financially speaking, the next step. Financially speaking, I think it's good then to have a five or ten minute conversation with a mortgage broker because. Like you said, people have spoken to a bank or they might have spoken to their mate who's, oh yeah, I've got a mortgage and it's really easy and you know I can do all of this stuff. There's a number of steps that you've got to look at in order to qualify for that criteria. Number one is how much cash have you got? Because so many times I get people to come to me and they say, I've just taken this guy out, shown him six properties at three million dirhams. And I'm like, great, how much cash has he got? I don't know. And then I speak to him, he's got 200,000 dirhams. He's not buying at three million dirhams, you know, because you need at least 25% to be able to get in at that level. So that 25% includes deposit amounts and fees. Deposit fees, yeah. I mean, it can range between 22 and 27 and a half or whatever at the lower end below five mil. But 25 is kind of what you need to be thinking about. That's that's what I need. Um, and of course, there's going to be other ancillary costs that people don't really budget for, like removal costs and things yeah. like that, you know, so all in. But um, so if we're looking at that side of it, then yeah, 25% is, is what they need to be getting into, but that was I on that. Well, if I just jump in, the process should be, which it, it never really happens, but this is what people should do. Where you're saying that they call up the real estate broker, the first thing they should do is call the mortgage broker. Because what's the point to a certain extent in viewing properties if you don't know what your budget is or yeah. how much you've got to spend? Yeah. Again, you might be looking at three million and you might respectfully only be able to afford something at two million. So you're wasting your own time going out looking at properties and even deciding if if you've not got the affordability, you might decide, well, maybe now's not the right time to buy. I need to extend my rental and save 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 up a bit more money and buy this time next year. But yeah. until you know those facts and figures and until you know where you stand, really the property search should be the secondary to actually getting your mortgage in place. How, how do people respond when, because obviously the very first phone call you have with people, you ask quite private information. Of course. With regards yeah. to earnings and money in bank. People quite receptive to, to that? Obviously, everyone's different. For the most part, they are. Um, I don't really overcome too many issues with it, but again, I guess it's how you talk to people is a lot of how you get past that. You know, But when you're asking somebody straight off the bat, what's your monthly earnings, what's your liabilities, what's this, what's this, what's this? I suppose in their mind, they're kind of already geared to thinking I've got to have this conversation at some point. So when you're speaking to a professional mortgage broker or, or a bank or whatever, then you're already at that point of, I've got to let this information go at some point. I mean, I did have a few times where people are like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of private information. I don't want to give that out yet. But again, there's, like I said, deposit, what's your salary, what's your liabilities, and your age, those are the main four components. Why is age important? Obviously, I know, but what for people listening, why is age yeah, important? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got somebody coming to me the other day, he's 58 years old, he's salaried, which means he can only go up to the age of 65 with a mortgage. So he's got seven years in which to repay his mortgage. So if he wants to buy something at three million dirhams and he wants to take a 75 or 80% loan, that's a lot of money each month. And if his salary doesn't support that, then that is his age is a problem. Now, Again, banks were given the power back to them to be able to say, the central banks are removing the maximum age. It's up to the bank's discretion. But for the most part, if you're salaried, maximum age is 65, and if you're self-employed, maximum age is 70. So those are the things you need to keep in mind. And then you've got to look at what's my salary, 
everything has to fit 50% of your salary, including your car payments, your loan payments, your credit cards, a, a certain percentage and all these things. Okay, so someone's, Paul Kelly's a real estate agent, taking a phone call, registered someone, put them in touch with you, you've had an initial phone call to say, yes, this is how much you can borrow, confirming how much they earn and deposit and all that sort of stuff. They've gone to view houses, maybe they're in a negotiation stage, which often you're, you can kind of help and guide people with, yeah. with, with offers. Because not everyone who works with you buys with all stuff and all stuff. That's, yeah. I think that's quite key. Yeah. You deal with many, many people that end up buying also, which is fine. So once a contract is signed, what then happens from your side? From our side, once the contract is signed or once we get them into an approval? So they've signed a contract. They've Dubai. been in Dubai, yeah. To buy something, yeah? Right. So they've bought to buy something in Dubai, okay. they've signed a contract. They've they had an initial approval over the phone from you to say, yes, we think okay. this yeah. is possible. What happens next? I think the first part that happens is we start to manage their expectations. Okay. <laughs> um, again, we can have a conversation with somebody over the phone. So many times I've had a conversation and I've said, what's this, what's this, what's this? And I then have to go through and physically trawl through three or six months bank statements to see is what they're telling me correct? Is there anything else on it? Invariably, you'll see there's a lot of regular payments coming out. So you have to question what they're for. Oh, that's for this and that's for that and that's for that. Or if you see their salary slips and all of a sudden they've got this company loan that they're paying out. No one thinks a company loan is a liability, but it still is a liability. So the banks will look at it like a liability. So they're out of this. My company lent me that money, so it's interest free. So it's not even a real loan. What's a company is. loan? Is that a thing? Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, but it's, it's all of those things that you're not told over the phone that you then have to try and manage after the fact. So, but you'll only get that once you get the documents. So, my first point is right, you need to send me a list of these documents. The sooner you get it to me, the sooner I can start it and then get it into the bank and the clock doesn't start ticking until it's into the bank. So you're having to translate really what's on their on their on their on their pay slips or on their bank statements to then create a picture. We're underwriting it basically. Yeah. yeah. To the bank. Yeah. So knowing the bank's criteria, knowing what they're underwriting stuff is you know is paramount. We don't know it for every bank, but we have a broad spectrum of what we know. I mean I've been doing this a long time. Um, they all follow the same kind of protocols at some level, but it's how a bank will then say, what's what's your affordability based on our calculations? So some banks might calculate at 3%, and some banks might calculate at 5%. Yeah. So the difference in the loan that you're gonna get could be the difference between half a million or a million dirhams in terms of the affordability. So when I say, when you go to one bank and you, you say, this is what I've got, one bank will give you one answer, and it may not be the answer that you want. So again, with a broker, we've got a number of options that we can look at. We can increase the loan size to suit your needs based on a different bank's criteria. How does that work if you're, let's say, a, a J client for HSBC or Emirates MPD Priority? How does that work? Because most, the most common objection I had when I was selling houses many, 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 many years ago was, well, I'll go for my bank because they give me best rates. Yeah, because your bank tells you that they give you best rates. That's, that's why you know that, because you've spoken to your bank and you've been in there and you said, but you're a J client, or you're an elite client, or you're a premier client, or you're this client, so don't worry, we'll give you the best rates. So you're, it's ingrained, it's already, you've been groomed, if you like, into thinking you've got the best deal in the market. But I've got stuff where it's not an elite status, it's not a premier, it's not a this, it's not a this, it's not a this, but it's still a much better rate than what you get with your elite status. So, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I was just gonna say, so that's why I mean, 
not everyone is armed with this information. We are. You know, we spend countless hours every week trawling through, finding out what the best deals are, going to the banks and negotiating the best deals. We put a lot of business to these banks to be able to get those best deals. You know, you're one person going to the bank for one deal for the next 25 years. Are you going to get a better deal than me putting 100 million dirhams to that bank? Probably not is the answer. The question is going to ask, and it's pure speculation, but obviously so far I've covered so much information and it's quite clear that mortgages aren't as straightforward as some people think. Purely speculative, how many people in Dubai, percentage-wise, do you think are tied into bad mortgages for them, bad mortgage products for them? Wow. I wouldn't even like to put a number on it. Um, I mean, all I can say is when I came here 15 years ago, less than 5% of the market was being mortgaged. It was all cash. And for me to try and sell a mortgage to somebody, it was taking two, three months to get over the line. You weren't even selling real houses, you were selling a picture of a house and a patch of sand. So a lot of people got into those off-plan mortgages and they've never been able to get out of them. Yeah. There's a lot of banks that hold toxic you know, assets because of their oversubscribed lending criteria. I couldn't, put a, I couldn't put a number on it, but there's, I get a lot of people come to me and say, can you help me buy out my mortgage? And obviously the market two years ago was a lot lower. It's impossible, than it. but this is what it's yeah. only done to you. Yeah. So it's, it's pushed up a lot. So we're finding that there's more reasons to get people out of bad products. Um, but also those same banks that weren't negotiating with them two years ago are now going, okay, yeah, we can negotiate with you now because their risk is less as well. Because it was more a case of, why should we negotiate your rate? Because you're a high risk to us because your loan to value is at 100% or maybe even more. Have you done remortgages with the, at someone where they are with, let's say, a bank and you've negotiated on their behalf with that bank to do, do the remortgage? Yeah, it's not, we don't, I've got a lot of clients that I've dealt with over the years. Um, and it's the favors that you do for them that then come back to you later on down the line when they refer more and more business to you. So do we negotiate with them, charge them a fee? No. Can we speak to that bank and pull in a few favors? Yes, we can. But there's not an option here to be able to refinance with the same bank where we get paid by that lender. So it's more, we do favors with people. Okay. I said earlier on about the approval process, obviously in an ideal world, you would tackle that before someone signs a contract. Yeah. But when someone has signed a contract, you've got the, the approval from the bank to say, based on X, what you've showed us, we're happy to go ahead. What, ha what then happens next after that point? Valuation? Yeah, so based on that, we'll, I mean, we can instruct the valuation at the same time or we can instruct it after the approval's been done. Um, so valuation's done to determine if the property is worth what that person's paying for it. Yeah, exactly. And some people want to have a valuation to understand, is it worth what I'm buying it for? So they'll say, can we do that anyway? What does that cost, typically? Typically, two and a half to 3,000 dirhams plus VAT. And that um, fund goes to the bank and they pay the surveyor? They pay the surveyor, which is a third party <coughs> contractor that come in and do the work. So every bank has a panel of valuers that they'll put it out to on a pro rata basis. So it's not something we control, it's not something that the bank control, it's done through their operations team to avoid any conflict of interest. So you pay valuation today, couple of days, couple of days a week to get a valuation? Yeah, I'd say probably three to five days to get the valuation back. Yeah. Um, from inspection to report going back to then, you know, some banks it's two days, some banks it might be three or four. Yeah. Can I jump in on this point? So going back to valuation, now you said before, this year I've had quite a few problems with down valuations where say you buy three million, the bank's it's only actually worth 2.9 million. If people are in that situation, and they get a down valuation, what can they do? Because one thing I, 
one problem I see, one thing quite passionate about is the people who are valuing the properties are always about three months behind what's actually happening exactly, in the market. Yeah. And it's not their fault. They can only go off transfer data. Of but if, if we're talking about a transfer process of 12 weeks, it means by the time they get that data, it's off a sale that's happened three months ago, yeah. not yesterday. And obviously three months, especially in the Dubai property market, can be quite a long time in terms of well, this price changes. Yeah. So what if someone gets a down valuation, is there anything they can do that he has to I mean, there's a couple, to... of, couple of steps you can put in place where when an agent is going to do the valuation, agents are in the prime position because they've got NIUs or Form Fs or sales contracts to show, this is what I've just sold this for. So although it's not in the system, they can bring that information to the table when they go and do the valuation. So they can say, I've just sold this last year, last week, I've just sold this two weeks ago. So they can bring that. And the valuer can make assumptions based on what this is. Has it transferred yet? No. So is it still an active contract? Yes. But here, when you sign a contract, that's exchange of contract. You yeah. have to complete. So a good real estate broker should be able to help justify value. Exactly. And you know, I've worked I've worked with a number of guys here and outside that can do that. But then there's some that will just turn up and stand in the corner and, you know, oh I'll open the door for you and not really say anything. And that's where sometimes you get those problems. But ultimately, you've also got some valuers that will go out there and go, well, I don't care. This is what I think. Um, so what's recourse there? Then that happened. So, well, I mean, the recourse is we can push it back and say, here's comparable information to show that it is worth what it's being sold for. Um, I mean, the other recourse is in some of the contracts, you've got valuation clauses within 10 percent or 5 percent or whatever, which means that, you know, whatever happens, they still need to allow for that. So that's a conversation that really is, is not should be had, but there's a lot of agents shy away from that conversation. In a rising market, these are problems we've had, just to make you aware, if that's not yeah. the case, then you need to budget for this. The margins are quite narrow at the moment, though. We're not seeing, like, really wide... We were, but not anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other problem I've got at the moment is, I've got uh, one bank in particular, not mentioning any names, but... Please don't. We, we, we've, <laughs> gone, we've, yeah. <laughs> we've gone out... A valuation has been done by the independent party, the, the company that they trust to go and do it. The valuation has come back to the bank. The bank have said, well, this doesn't match what we think it should be, so uh, we're going to downvalue it. And I'm like... So the bank have gone against the valuer's <laughs> exactly. report. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, that's twice in the last week that I've had this. So... Um, I assume you challenged that. I am at the moment, yeah. yeah. So that's why I've been this morning and trying to get it sorted. But okay. it's, I mean, it's nuts that that could even be the case because what they're essentially saying is we've entrusted a panel of people to go out and do something and we actually don't trust their information. Do you think that's just them factoring in the huge price heat of the last four or five months and maybe kind of de-risking the loan? What's the point in charging someone for the valuation then? If you've got an internal matrix, use that. Don't charge somebody for the valuation if you're not going to adhere to it. You know, that's a waste of money. So right? all being well, in an ideal world, we've done the valuation, it's come back, <laughs> and it's worth what someone's prepared to pay. Yeah. What then happens from the financial side? So, again, each bank has a different process of dealing with stuff, but you normally get like a pre to final offer document series of stuff that you've got to go through. Um, there could be some final checks, it could be another verification call, there could be another AECB report done or pulled by the lender. So again, we, we go on to the do's and don'ts of when you apply for a mortgage in a minute. But it's at that point is all the final checks are done and then you get what's called a final approval. So final checks could be ringing the employer, verifying they yeah. work there. Do they still work there? Have they had any reduction in COVID? You know, all these sorts of things. And last year, that was a big issue. You yeah. know, you do your initial, everything was there, that you call them, yeah, they own this money. 
they call them a month later and they say, do they still earn the same money? Oh no, they're better 25% dis- yeah. uh, you know, cutting their salary. So all of a sudden, it's, it's a lot of deals have fallen out of bed yeah. last year, as we well know. Um, so the final offer letter is essentially the part where they're saying, price is valued up, your documents are fine, we're happy with our earnings are fine, yeah. this is our offer to lend on that property. Exactly, so that is your initial contract with the bank to say, this is what our terms are. Yeah. And then you'll have a mortgage contract that's a bit more detailed with all the you know industry jargon and everything else that's to do with your contract with them. But it's essentially at that point, we've then got either paying off the seller's fine or requesting the seller's liability because we know we're at a position to do it there. Um, or we go and apply for the NOC to then go to do the transfer. So getting to that point from a valuation can take a week, it can take 10 days, it can take another two weeks. Still, it blows my mind, by the way, bearing in mind we're in 2021 and we're in a position where we have to go and pay someone's finance off before you, oh, you even own a home. Don't, don't you know, it, it should, yeah. we should be in a position now like the UK where that should happen you know, on the same day. Yeah, exactly. I do think that the, yeah, it does blow my mind as well. I think the land department are implementing more and more blockchain t- technology at the moment. So I think in time that will change, but yeah, definitely not in the next six to 12 months. Well, I mean, so. the other thing is, it's you should ideally all be able to come together and say, right, this is the liability. Okay, that's great. This is your check for you. That's great. This we've already got the release documents because you sent us a copy of the check. It's a manager's check. It's cleared funds. It's not going to bounce. So for people not familiar with the process, what we're talking about is if if a, if a homeowner has a loan, someone's buying with a mortgage, they've they've got a final offer letter. The, the next step before even you own the property is your bank need to settle yeah. the remaining balance, providing it's lower than what you're buying at from what they what what they owe and then the step after that is obviously of it uh, would be would be transferred from noc yeah, but that that step there of your bank paying their bank check and getting those documents back from their bank to two say weeks. it's paid yeah exactly two, two weeks. weeks so your bank has paid the other person's loan you're then waiting documents back before you can even go to an noc and a transfer so yeah. it could be what three to four weeks of you clearing someone else's loan before you even own the house outright. Well, let's say final offer letter. This is where we have to have, you know, exact timings. So, ideally, we want to get a final offer letter before we request a liability letter because a liability letter can take three days. It can take ten days. So you can't really time it with a lot of banks. So you need to make sure: Am I going to get this final offer letter? Is there anything else going to come up? Is there any other problems that are going to arise before we request the liability letter? Sometimes you think, okay, well, we've got the valuations come back. Okay, with that, we're quite happy with that. We're quite happy with all the initial, you know, checks and stuff that were done. Let's request the liability letter. Liability letter comes. That can take three days, ten days, as we said. Then a final offer letter comes. But then we've got some liability letters are only valid for seven days or 14 days or 10 days. Some final offer letters are only valid for 30 days or 45 days or 60 days. So you've then got this, do you apply for the liability after we've got to this point, and then you've got the problem of, let's say the seller's bank are like, okay, well, give us your buyer's details because we're gonna try and sell them a mortgage as well. In the meantime, you've got this this final offer letter is valid for 30 days that was printed probably four days before you even saw it, so you already lost, lost a lot of time on it. And then you've got the other bank saying, okay, well, let's try and steal that deal in the middle. And it just, this is where all the problems Is are. anyone else confused? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've been in real estate 20 years and I'm confused. <laughs> I think this is why Stu does so well. Yeah. He just talks I, and then people I, think, I, I will, deal with it. I will say, I mean, what he's going through is, is 
part of the reason why someone should use a broker because you yeah, imagine a 100%. bank trying to have a conversation with another bank that don't really they don't really speak to each other very often try and organize this process is a nightmare in itself and i've bought multiple houses in dubai and have multiple mortgages and i know how much work goes in from the from the mortgage advisor side and shout out to ellen and danielle and our support team mortgages where the amount of work they do which clients don't see a part yeah. of our mortgage support team to to make sure things are done as quickly as possible and fighting their corner is is, is amazing yeah. yeah the only a couple of words of reassurance i just give to people is it does blow your mind that you have to pay off someone's mortgage before you purchase property however this happens t at least tens if not hundreds of times a day I've been through the process myself. Yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel comfortable in doing it. So there are stop gaps and measures in place. Think over time, it will improve and the, the, the transaction will be more simultaneous. So more just a reassurance to any buyers out there it is say it is okay to buy off someone yeah. who, who owes in a, that who event, has a mortgage. In that event, Stuart, by the way, is when so you pay off someone's mortgage, are you paying the mortgage from that day? Yeah, this is exactly what I was just about to say there. So let's say, for example, we disperse to clear somebody else's liability. Let's say we did that on the 10th. By the time they're gonna pay it, it could be the 15th. So, but the check's already been written or the, or the loan's already been booked. Then on the 15th, and then it might take two weeks before that even comes back or, or whatever, all the documents come back. And then you go and apply for the NOC. Some of these NOCs, let's take, we've got down in, you know, green community, for example, some of these NOCs to get an appointment and then to get the NOC, that can take a month. So you haven't even transferred, but you may already have two mortgage payments come out before you've even transferred the property. Because as soon as it's been dispersed, this is where I had a conversation the other day, a bank is dispersing to pay off somebody else's loan. So you can't expect your bank to hang around and wait for their money. And especially if you've got, let's say you've got a, a strict timeline of what it's got to be repaid back in, and you're up to the maximum age of 65, you can't go past that. So yeah. the bank still has to take their money no matter what. Me being really cynical, is that it, you never know better than me, will it, is, a, is a bank's attitude kind of, our jobs done when they disperse? No. No, so, I don't. So they're not kicking back and saying, no, no, we've no. denied that? No, they're not. Um, because there's still an operations team within the bank that still facilitate and get everything done. Because a bank, if they've paid off somebody else's finance, that for them is a risky place to be. Yeah. They want to get a title in the their asset. name. Yeah. They want to register the mortgage at the land department in their name. So they're pushing to still get the rest of that process done. So no, they're not They're not keeping back at that point. What about before we wrap up, some key do's and don'ts from your side, personal person experience, and particularly from an expert opinion, any key things that you'd say before you're getting a, going to take a new mortgage out, these are things I would do and these are the things I wouldn't do? Yeah, I mean, so many times I've seen it where, like we just said, we've got initial checks done on your credit report, and then we've got final checks done on your credit report. So many times I've seen so many people apply for a credit card, apply for a car loan. In between that period? Loan, in between that period. <laughs> okay. And that is the most dangerous place to be because everything is gone from that point. So you have to underwrite the whole case again. It has to literally go back to ground zero and start again. Why did we look at a negativity? Is that because it's your erratic in terms of your... No, it means it's going to affect your affordability yeah. going forward because it's now another liability that has not been considered. So the other thing is going on holiday, you know, during it and not arranging, you know, ample POAs or power of attorneys. The other thing is um, changing jobs during the, you know, the no, process. No, no, yeah. Massive no, no. Uh, because again, 
you've got certain probation periods with a lot of companies that if you move from one job to another, then the bank say, oh, actually, you just moved from this These job questions to are asked, aren't they, from the bank, how long you've been are. there, yeah. what the probation period is. Yeah. What about um, in terms of regular income? You know, some people may have varied earnings. It might yeah. be from bonuses or commissions. Yeah. I mean, What's your view on that? Again, some banks will accept bonuses to a certain percentage, some banks will accept commissions to a certain percentage, and some banks won't accept it at all. But then some will accept all of your housing or even schooling being repaid back to you, or you know, your travel allowances, or even your flight tickets that have been paid back to you. So not every bank subscribes to the same formula. And that's why I'm saying speak to us, because we can see how we can maximize your borrowing potential. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really difficult to say from each of them. Anything from your side, any do's and dates before we, before we wrap up? I think from my side, it, it would be, to, and it's not a, a pitch because we're sitting here with our own, the head of our own mortgage team, but it would be to speak to a mortgage broker in the market. It's what I try and do every time because again, like you said a moment ago, you've been in property 20 years and some of it's still a little bit confusing because we're not, we're not in on the mortgage side every day. I'd speak to a mortgage broker, I'd be open and honest, tell them your situation, ask their advice, maybe ask for the top three options that they would recommend, sit with them, discuss the options, why they would recommend like A, B, C, what's the advantages of A against B against C, etc., and take a take a decision from there. But in, in a lot of areas of life, you will be led by the expert. Obviously, you'll have your questions, you do, you'll, you'll do your own due diligence, but you'll be led by an expert. For some reason in mortgages, people don't want to be led by an expert. They think they can do the job themselves on what is often the, the biggest financial outlay they'll ever make but find an expert that you trust be led by them take their advice because there's so much that that goes on behind the headline 1.99 percent yeah you're right you're right it is the biggest financial outlay you'll ever make and it's the most emotional purchase you'll ever make. and don't forget when you're doing this you are emotional you are you could talk to anybody and get given the wrong information but what you don't want to be doing is be in a position that a week before transfer you've not got what you've been promised at the start because there's your dream home you don't even like it anymore because you've been missold on a mortgage product yeah. or something like this um, and again you're right speak to somebody because not everyone knows not everyone understands not everyone wants to understand what the choices are there's different fixed one year two year three year four year five year there's variable options out there there's floor rates minimum rates there's a lot of jargon that people don't understand and it's speaking to us to help to sift through what would work for you because it, what works for you doesn't work for everyone do you think uh, one of my do's is that if if you're if you've spoken to them about a product, and this person goes directly to that bank you've spoken to them about, again potentially it could be causing themselves huge headaches because whilst you're dealing with someone in the bank, there is an expectation from the bank to you to do a lot of running around, whereas you do that for them. Exactly, and and again this is what I say to people: it's we can do all of that and take all of that headache. Nine times out of ten, our clients are too busy to do it themselves. You know, yeah, obviously you're going to get some people that are oh, okay. I can do it all myself. You know, I know what I'm doing, and that's great. And we can never stop somebody from speaking to them and then going to that bank. I've got nothing to hide. You know, with the lenders that we recommend, um, and I don't think you should because it should be a transparent process. Yeah. So if somebody chooses to go there and do it themselves, I know what I'm getting from the bank. You know, every single time. 100% of the time, I know what I'm getting, and you get what I promise at the end. There's gonna be a lot of heartache in the middle that you'll never see, but I take care of that. You wanna go and do that yourself, and do all that heartache, and then end up with a product that you didn't get promised at the start, because you don't give them 100 million dirhams worth of business each month, 
very base. Right, guys. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Paul. Look at each of it the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah. How can we reach out to you, Stuart, for mortgages? So, Stuart, also up on officer.com and mobile number? 056-758-7710. She will give you the hookup and get you the mortgage. My key, t- key takeaways, guys, are two things. When you buy a house, a car, um, whether it's anything in life, if it's a phone, you don't typically buy the first thing you see. It's the same with mortgages. You know, If you're going to take advice, of course, speak to your bank. You know, you, you may hear the things you might want to hear, but my advice to anyone is have a second opinion. Certainly speak to Stuart or whether it's someone else. Have a second opinion. Make sure when you're making that decision, it's a decision that you're informed and you're happy about and you know you've looked at all the options. Equally, with regards to buying properties in Dubai, make sure you know everything you possibly can when signing. Make sure you, if you can involve, involve a mortgage advisor as well, they can advise your timelines. And, uh, and things you need to meet to make sure. You know, you, yeah. w- w- with contracts, there are lots of things you need to abide by. So yeah, make sure you involve a mortgage advisor as soon as possible. Today we found out before we wrap up, also up and also up, Taking Care of Business podcast is now in the top 10 listen to podcasts for investing in Dubai, which is fantastic. So to help us keep climbing the ranks, please uh, either subscribe or keep listening to, make some comments and five star reviews. That will really help us get up and be more visible on the podcast platforms. But from me, Stuart and Paul, thank you very much. See you next week. Thank you. Bye.